Forgotten Flicks, Episode 32. We romance in the stone! Hello, hello, hello! And welcome to the Forgotten Flicks Podcast. I am your humble manservant, Joel, and I'm joined, as always, by the always buff, always ready for prime time, Jason. Look at those snappers! <laughs> Ira! Ira! <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Danny DeVito. Uh, good evening, my friend. How yeah, are you? I am just ducky. How are you? I'm fantastic. Excited for this evening. We have uh, quite a treat in store. Yes. I believe together we'll be romancing the stone. Because that is tonight's movie, or today's. I keep saying tonight is if we're live. Oh, eventually we will have to do a live show. I think that'd be fun and scary as hell. You know, for the two people that might tune in to mock us. Oh, yes. Oh, and we got to yeah. do it like video. We'll do, do it. You like, stream. Well, just actually, you stream kind of sucks. They keep plugging in uh, ads for people's stuff. But there's yeah. one called Justin.tv that, I, that I've been checking out. It's not bad. So I don't know. Justin Bieber? What? No, yes. Justin Bieber TV will be on Justin <laughs> Bieber TV. You know what? I don't understand that. Who would name their daughter Justin? That's just awful. <sighs> I know. Yeah, she's a cute kid. So, <laughs> yes, Romancing the Stone 1984 is our movie du jour we don't have any feedback this week sorry kids jv and uh, none of uh jason stalkers and even peter <laughs> didn't feel that romancing the stone you think you think one of your stalkers would have called in for romancing the stone don't you um yeah i think maybe it's the you know, school starting back up maybe they're busy oh wait a minute are you implying that your stalkers are all in school they're all teachers oh gotcha <laughs> it's like that mary T- Kay Letourneau kind of thing going on right Oh, oh. Huh. when Jason was in eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, right. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that goes, huh? So, yes, oh, Romancing yeah. the Stone, 1984, directed by uh, a filmmaker you might have heard of, Robert Zemeckis, did a couple of small, low-budget pictures. Uh, we'll get into true. Yeah, we'll, yeah. It, it starred a couple of uh, kind of unknowns, uh, Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, Danny DeVito. And uh, it's a, it's an action adventure romance picture, and um, that's about it as far as the the build up. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just bump us right into the trailer. But first, Jason, <laughs> har there be spoilers ahead. Excuse me. Excuse me. Spoiler alert, please. Simply awesome. That's what that (laughs) was. Simply awesome. So we will now treat you to one of the most painfully staged trailers in the history of motion pictures. <laughs> I'm getting out of this jungle dump. I am fed up to here with this treasure hunt business. Yeah. 
Ira, you miserable worm, you lied to me. You said she was a city girl, out of her element. Just get her in the map and bring him back. Piece of cake. Piece of cake, my butt. What went wrong? I'll tell you what went wrong. First of all, guess who else is here? You're dead right, Solo. What? Secondly, she's got herself a partner. Who likes shooting holes and everything. The minimum price for taking a stranded woman to a telephone is $400. $375 in travel's checks? Not a deal. That's just the beginning of what's going on down here. Actually, I take it back. The most contrived, painful trailer in history is to the sequel of Romance in the Stone. But we'll get into that later. <laughs> oh, God. I, you know what? Before we even get into the movie, can I just talk about that trailer for a few minutes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are several things just <laughs> awfully wrong with that. <laughs> Number one, the whole – any of that Danny DeVito stuff was not in the movie at all, obviously. Yeah, yeah it was so staged. Kind of, yeah, it was so awfully staged, and it was um, – but even worse, the music that was playing, the adventurous music that was playing in that trailer. Oh, yeah, that music. Not in the movie. Yeah, yeah, because if it had been the music in movie, then the music that was in the movie wouldn't have sucked so bad. Mm. Oh, but we'll get into that later. Well, why don't you go into your uh, your little synopses, Jay, and then we'll get into the finer points of – Romance in the Stone music, because I think that's pretty much what we should name this episode. Romance in the Stone. Yeah, the Romance in the Stone. (laughs) Keeping it in tune. Yes, this, uh, (laughs) yeah. Well, I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach with the synopsis tonight. So um, I'm going to give you kind of the main setup of the movie, give you some key elements, and then once we get into the swing of it, once we hit the, I don't know, just past the hook, almost to the climax. Then we're going to go into our debrief. But uh, the setup for this, oh, so nice. <laughs> oh, so nice, I must say. <laughs> so the entire story is basically focused around uh, Joan Wilder, who is played by the lovely Kathleen Turner. She plays this kind of shut-in, not really experienced of the world, romance novelist. And the actually the opening sequence is like her typing um, the last pages of her book, and it's played out. So you uh-huh. actually see the the you know the heroine of her book and the bad guy there, and all this setup. And so she dreams of her Mister Wright, which is this guy that she writes in all of her romance adventure novels. Uh, and then at one point, she gets a package uh, f- from her brother-in-law and a phone call from her sister that she's in desperate trouble in Colombia where she and her husband uh, used to live because apparently she found out her husband had been kidnapped, chopped up into pieces, and they found uh, bits of him. (laughs) And she needs her sister's help. So she calls Joan, and she's basically in the arms of the bad guys, um, played by Danny DeVito, who's Ralph, 
uh, in this, and Ira. Ira, who's the cousin, he's the taller, almost completely balding um, bad guy, and the two of them have kidnapped her sister, and she <laughs> says, you have to bring that envelope down to Colombia. Come to the Hotel Cartagena in Cartagena, and you have to deliver this, and call this phone number, and so she decides, completely unprepared and completely out of her element, can't travel beyond her apartment, apparently, uh, proceeds to travel down to Colombia and gets on the wrong bus when she gets off the airplane and off into the jungle, and so the adventure begins. Now, one other bit of setup is throughout this, there's this really crazy-looking guy who's also following her, turns out to be this um, secret police, this, this colonel of the secret police in Columbia. The butcher. Um, yeah, who is the one who chopped up the her sister's husband yes. uh, they call him the butcher i think yeah i can't remember what the guy's real the character's name was but yeah i remember the butcher was his yeah nickname. yeah they called him the butcher doctor what was it was Javago? Uh, zoloft or... yeah, Zol- yeah yeah zoloft 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 zolo so yeah there's zolo the butcher or dr zolo or dr, dr. Zolo, zulu <laughs> dr zulu <laughs> and uh so he is also after this map, and uh, that's when you know he's trying to get her, but also Ira and Ralph are trying to get her, and uh, she goes off, and just as she's in the jungle, seems completely lost, she meets Jack T. Colton. The T stands for trustworthy, played by Michael Douglas, and the two of them go off on this adventure to rescue her sister, and yada yada. So that's kind of the main setup of the synopsis, and that's kind of the, the bulk of the story is them going yes. off to search for this treasure, El Corazon. Yes, actually, it was it was Zolo. Uh, he he played a Zolo in Francisco, uh, and the actor's name was Manuel Ojeda. And interestingly, and I don't know if you took it this way, Jason, but one thing about this this guy to me is that he was so... How can I put it? He was very... <laughs> Plastic? Yeah, it was just boring. Like, he seemed like he would have been an extra in any other movie. And, in fact, he was supposed to be an extra. And they were like, you know what? Crap. We forgot to cast the main bad guy. Oh, uh, wait. We need someone. Yeah, uh, hey, wait, you over there. You're kind of creepy looking. Mustache. You got a mustache. Yeah. Must, everybody knows mustaches are creepy. <laughs> yeah. It, it, there's <laughs> you, This is the funny thing about him, uh, about Zolo is that he's supposed to be this butcher, right? And, you know, he's this evil colonel, leader of the secret police, and his weapon, like his signature weapon, is this, I would say what, an inch and a half uh, little switchblade, a two-inch, maybe? You know know what, Jason? You know why, Jason? You know why, Jason? He's secure in his manhood. He doesn't need a huge blade to compensate. You know what I'm saying? You know, if I walked around with an inch and a half switchblade, I would be insecure because he appears to be a butcher with a yeah. knife. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, with, with a nail file. <laughs> yes. I will do your he nails. You might be able to get onto an airplane. Yes, I will do your nails. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, he did not come across as the absolutely scary guy. As a matter of fact, some of the people in his army that we meet later in the movie actually, to me, seem more stern and scary and... Um, than he was, but yeah. Well, while we're on the subject of the cast, we obviously have Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner as the top build performers. 
A couple quick points. Kathleen Turner's voice, I'm pretty confident at certain moments in the movie, deeper than Michael Douglas's. And, <laughs> and, and this is funny because this is definitely, this, this movie was one that I, I remember, well, it was one that when I was, when it first came out, I, for whatever reason, wasn't allowed to see. And, uh, I remember hearing other older people and kids talking about it that had seen how much because it reminded me of like Indiana Jones. Like it, it seemed to have that vibe to it. And then when I finally saw it, uh, and I actually think I may have seen it after Jewel of the Nile because I remember my dad taking me to see Jewel of the Nile, um, which is the sequel. And mm-hmm. Romancing the Stone, though, in my mind, was always this just kind of fun you know, um, Raiders, but with, you know, a sense, more of a sense of humor. I, and I just always remember really liking it. And it's interesting because I also seem to remember, and maybe they had it more so in Jewel than I'll, it's been about as long as I've seen that. But did you almost feel like there wasn't a lot of chemistry between those two? Like, I just didn't feel real... I don't know. Like, I always felt like she had more chemistry. Kathleen Turner had more chemistry with, say, Steve Martin in The Man with Two Brains. Or, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I just, for whatever reason, those two together, I, I don't know what it was. It just didn't. I don't know. This is one of those movies. I mean, a, a lot of movies we've covered, I've seen before. Um, a handful of them I've seen so much that they're actually seared into my brain. Yes. Uh this is one of those select handful. So it's hard for you to have that subjective sort of, or excuse me, objective point of view. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, I've always thought that this movie was, um, that the romance felt a little odd, Yeah, but not bad because there's a side boob shot of Kathleen Turner, you know, Oh, dude, uh, this, this movie gremlins and temple of doom are not the, just the only reasons for the PG 13. Because this movie yeah, came out this, the same year as those. This movie should, would have been PG-13 had it come out a year later. Easily. And even in the opening sequence, they they have um, – uh, they're, they're basically playing the uh, uh, part of Joan Wilder's novel because she writes these very um, – I don't know. They're, they're very basic kind of stories of this strong female lead and uh, that, that she – kind of takes care of herself and defends herself but she also is vulnerable so anyway in the in the opening sequence they they have this woman there and she's um fighting off this bad cowboy it's like a western scene but they show her in this completely sheer yeah top and i i turned the movie on him i was watching it um i was watching it with my wife and my oldest daughter you know an older teenager but i was watching i was like whoa i don't remember that scene there so <laughs> <laughs> and do you know who that woman was, by the way? I know. I'm a, she looked familiar, but I couldn't. Do you remember from Ghostbusters the scene where um, Ray is laying on the bed having a dream oh, and that ghost appears over him? A little the succubus shows up? <laughs> yes, that was her. Really? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of she had a, well, She had a big year. She had a big year then because Ghostbusters came out in 84 as well. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Um, she also had a, um, a small part in Roadhouse a couple of years later. But, oh, okay. Um, so anyway, yeah, that opening scene and then um, a couple with Kathleen Turner, uh, who I think at this period was y- – you know what? The thing about Kathleen Turner, I've always liked her um, in some of the roles – You know, in the roles mm-hmm. she's played, I liked her. I, I know I mentioned in a previous episode, um, uh, Serial Mom, was that it? Or yes, serial- yeah, Serial Mom, yeah. 
to your mom. Um, I like her in that because she plays obviously more of a mom character, an older mom character. But in this one, I mean, and she has got some licks. <laughs> and she is not bad to look at. And so I've always been like, wow, she is really pretty. But then she talks and sometimes she kind of gets that voice, you know. Well, actually, you know, it's funny. I actually, her voice doesn't bother me. The only part that bothered me was how, because obviously they set the character up at the beginning is, you know, sort of the stereotypical writer. She's locked away in her apartment, very introverted, mm-hmm. very mousy. And by the time we're at the midway point in this movie, suddenly it's like one minute she's she's like the school marm spinster with the bun you know, hair all uptight next minute. And it's like, it's like she leans down into a field to pick up a flower. And then, then she stands back up into frame and suddenly her hair is like yeah. wild and woolly <laughs> and her, her blouse is hanging off her shoulder. And God, yes, there's a, there's actually, I'm so sexy. <laughs> there is actually a very strange moment in that movie where, um, cause at first, you know, that she is still very can't handle herself. And even when they come across this, uh, airplane where apparently the uh, drug runners have crashed this old, you know, DC 10 into the jungle and she and Jack Colton come across it and mm-hmm. smoke like what they, they smoke between them, like four keys of marijuana. Yeah, I know. Least, you know yeah. They say marijuana couldn't kill you. The I, yeah. I, they say marijuana can't kill you. I am pretty confident. Oh, <laughs> just the smoke inhalation would have killed them. Yeah. That's carbon monoxide poisoning at the base at yeah. the very least. But yeah. Yeah, so she kind of gets into that. that. She comes out of her shell a little, but then she goes back into herself because they're walking through the bad guy village, and she's like uh, clutching her purse, and then they get into uh, the hacienda of of Juan, the you know the kind of the drug kingpin of this area, and they go chasing off in Little Mule, and they escape the bad guys in Little Mule, and then they kind of stop for a break, and he's like, I can't take you all to Cartagena, but this is as far as I'll take you, you know, as far as this thing. And that's the moment, and it seems so stark. <laughs> and it's, like it's, all of a sudden, yeah, like they flip uh, the switch. I've been in a high speed chase. Yes. Uh, yeah. Now I'm loose. Well, and I think that's, and I think that's the other problem too is that her, her, she and Jack Colton, the Michael Douglas character, their the the dynamic of their relationship kind of does the same thing. It goes from the sexual tension, which I think is what really makes that first part of the movie work. Because my favorite part of the movie is pretty much from the point they meet. Up until they're in that little village towards the end before they get to knocking boots mm-hmm. and and sort of like the in the classic moonlighting uh, I don't know fill in the blank of shows that had sexual tension and you know they ruined it the second the characters <laughs> kiss or get together or whatever scarecrow and, mrs King yeah of course uh, yes which yeah. we'll get into all that with the music yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh but yeah it, it just it just felt like that to me like they're the when they came together. Because he was in the middle of trying to swindle her out of this map. Because, of course, you know, the MacGuffin of the mm-hmm. film is that, you know, they have this map to find the, the, the stone that's going to free her sister. So he wants to get the map so he can go get the stone. So he's I mean, totally thinking about ripping her off. And in, you know, classic Michael Douglas fashion, he only he can play a skis that laid back and cool with being a skis. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> I, and I, that's the other thing. I will say this is like the only movie where I can, now at the top of my head, I can think, you know what? I actually like Michael Douglas in this movie. <laughs> most of his You're movie, not a Michael Douglas fan? Oh, I like him as an actor, but his characters are always D-bags. Uh, oh, yeah. Even where he's kind of the hero. He's um, still kind of a D-bag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you know what, though? I was really surprised because he does pull this off because obviously in this he is trying to 
uh, scam her, and he's yeah. trying to kind of romance her off off the treasure. And um, the one thing I noticed is, you know, when he finally does kind of fully romance her, and they go back to the hotel to fully romance Rom- the stone. No, um, no, Jason, Jason, <laughs> Jason. They go back and they get to romance and the bone. <laughs> the bone. Low hanging fruit. Low hanging fruit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. It's all right. You got to grab it. Uh-huh. <clears throat> That's what she said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know they're they're in bed together basically, and they yeah, they're in bed together. Ready, romance the bone, <laughs> and she says, "You know what? Maybe you're right. Let's go after the treasure. We can get it." Wah, and that's wah, at wah, only. <laughs> it's only at that point that he's like, "Oh yeah." I'll put the mat back in her. Oh bed. no, he totally he totally no, I don't need it. Yeah, he totally planned on uh deflowering her because I'm pretty confident the character was a virgin and uh then taking the map. Yes, he totally yeah. planned on that. Yeah, so um he but he pulled it off well because he still was likable even though he came across yes. as kind of that D-bag. Though and, uh, and you and I talked about this briefly uh, earlier, I still say and then we'll get a little bit into the trivia behind this movie. I still say a good Jack Colton would have been Kurt Russell because I could see Kurt Russell pulling this, pulling off that character even better than Michael Douglas. Because I think, unfortunately, Michael Douglas has again substantial baggage <laughs> with most of the characters that he has played. Um, the only issue I have with that, I like, I like Kurt Russell. Obviously, I mean, you know, you better or this podcast like is over. Yeah. It would have lasted yeah, thirty-two <laughs> episodes, and that is it. <laughs> yeah, wait till we start talking about Escape from New York. So what? Um, <laughs> But I don't, I don't see him like, I don't see any of the movies he's played in that were kind of like those romantic comedies. He just doesn't seem to have chemistry with anybody. Now I know he's you know, married to Goldie Hawn, and you know they were in some movies together. But I just, I don't. He doesn't play that well. So he well, would have played big, a great wait, 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 Jack I, I will make my argument on this point. Big Trouble in Little China, Kim Cattrall. And even though his character, even though Jack Burton, the Russell character in Big Trouble, is a complete just, hey, little lady, kind of just total, mm-hmm. you know, jerk. To er- There's still a chemistry. I would argue he and Kim Cattrall had more chemistry in that movie than I felt like Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas did in this one. Yeah. And actually, I take it back. I think they had chemistry before they got together. But the whole scene, and maybe it was just the way it was played out, it just felt so rushed to me towards the end. They're like, oh, crap, we're going into the third act. We really got to get these two together. Okay, let's do this. Yeah. I, just, I don't know. It felt rushed. It just felt... Uh, Contri- the, it just felt like a series of you know plot contrivances and excuses to get them in the sack so that the rest of the movie, you know, we could focus... Well- on the yeah, and I think part. I think it also had to do with the fact that I think they were trying to at several points I felt like they were trying hard to really make that connection with her romance novels. You know? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like they had to throw that part in to make it make sense with the romance novels. Not so much that they were, you know, they could have just gotten to the tension part and could have he could have walked away to his own room and it still would have been a good romance. Yeah. But I almost felt like they had to throw that in because that was you know she's trashy romance. It's Fabio on the cover of. You know, you name it, um, romance novel. Every book in your library. I got it. It's only about three quarters of them. But okay. Well, God, have you seen Fabio's hair? It's amazing. I'm jealous. Uh, My back almost looks that good. <laughs> That's oh. right. You're follically challenged. I forgot about that. Yeah, I ran away. You got scared, ran away with my face, and <laughs> slid down my back and my ass. Okay, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> one, one one other little side note, interesting point. The woman, and this actually shocked me. I don't know if you caught this, but the woman who wrote Romancing the Stone, did you look her up? Diane Thomas? Oh, no. Dude, she only wrote two movies. This one and Jewel of the Nile. She died the same year Jewel of the Nile came out. She was only 39 years old and had and at the time was working on a sequel to uh, uh, Indiana Jones. So at this point, Temple of Doom already had come out. So she was probably working on what would have eventually become Last Crusade or maybe. Who, I, I would love to know what she was working on. Right, would have been different, yeah. or what oh kind yeah, of, oh wow, no, I didn't, I did not. Yeah, didn't that suck? That sucks. Yeah. Uh, no, but I did have a, I did have a, uh, a, a plot issue, okay. if I may. Okay, go for it. Okay, so they did a great job of making this. I consider this a very kind of flirtatious movie. Nothing was too serious. Everything was kind of funny and light and um danny devito was great in this although they milked him for the marketing something fierce but yeah um so i i love i love that it all kind of had this very light feel to it nothing was too serious but the one element of it that they they played on that was fairly you know believable at least was that well there's maybe this treasure because the whole story of ira and ralph are these you know where are they from new jersey or new uh, York, from the bronx bronx that's right the from bronx yeah yeah um and but they're here stealing antiquities, so they're stealing works of ancient art and artifacts from Colombia. And they even show Ira at several points when he's on the phone. He's polishing different statuettes with his you know little brush and stuff. So this map is supposed to be this ancient map of some sort. They never explain it, which is fine. But it's supposed to be this this map that leads to this ancient treasure and even the things yeah. on there like the picture of the devil you know the, the devil's pitchfork el corazon they are supposed to go find this and they go to find the treasure and it's in this pond of water inside a cave behind a waterfall and they've gone this whole way and they go to pull it out it's wrapped in in uh, uh hemp cloth and it's stuffed with straw and they they pull it out and she goes oh, it's a priceless statue it's a freaking ceramic bunny rabbit, like circa nineteen seventy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that somebody then, had stolen from a souvenir shop. Yeah, and then she's like, "Oh, in one of my books, uh, the treasure's actually inside the yeah. bunny rabbit." Yeah. It's like, oh, and he cracks it open. Yeah. And it it's in there. Uh huh. Okay. What the f was up with the bunny rabbit? I mean, <laughs> or or how about the fact that it was like fresh grass? Yeah, it was green. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Someone's like, ah, shit, we got to stuff this with something. Uh, um, hey, go, go, hey, yeah, Chuck, yeah. we're not doing that field. Yeah, they just finished mowing, so those clumps of grass, grab that. They didn't use a mulching mower. I can even accept that. But they never explained it. So was it a smuggler had found it, put it back inside of a statue so no one would steal it? I mean, was was this map like something that the drug lords came up? I mean, what the hell? I know. That was very weird. It, it always struck me as odd. And even as a kid, I, I never really caught on to that being a, a, a plot element or a plot hole. But I'm watching it again thinking, you know, I never thought of that. Why? You know, what's up with the bunny rabbit? They could have done some really crappy looking Incan statue or, you know, Aztec yeah. statue or yeah. something. But a bunny rabbit? A ceramic painted bunny rabbit. <laughs> it did totally look like something from the 60s. It did. It was like, yeah. Well, speaking so, of things that were dated, let's go into the music, shall we? Yes, please. <laughs> yes. Okay, so here's the dealio. As this movie is playing, first we have to set set the set the scene for you people. Alan Silvestri is the composer, okay? 
if that name rings a bell, it probably freaking should. The man did the music. And I'm just going to break down a few here, okay? This is just a handful. He started his career back in the early 70s, okay? He did TV shows, uh, Chips, I believe, uh, Starsky and Hutch. Okay, so this guy, old school. I think actually, and oh, of course, Manimal. Can't forget Manimal. Any, any <laughs> excuse to make reference to the TV show Manimal, I will take. Or Airwolf. Hey, Chips is chops enough for me, so okay. you stop there. Okay. <laughs> Romancing the Stone was his first major, it looks like it's one of his first major, major you know, jobs. Then he went on to do like Fandango, which actually uh, Kevin Reynolds, the guy who went and did uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and one of your favorites, Waterworld. Um, Cat's (laughs) Eye. Oh, wait. And then he did this little movie called Back to the Future and uh, Delta Force, Flight of the Navigator, Amazing Stories, although I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, either Jerry Goldsmith or um, I think he just did one episode of Amazing Stories. He didn't do uh, the main theme. I don't know if it was Goldsmith or John Williams that did... uh, the music for amazing stories, but one of those anyway. Mm-hmm. And most recently he did like a team polar express. I mean, dude, the guy has done major movies. Okay. Oh yeah. He's top notch. Yes. Hollywood. Yes. Soundtrack talent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What the hell was up with the music in this movie? <laughs> oh, Forrest Gump. I forgot about Forrest Gump. Yeah. Castaway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's done a few. Okay. What was up with the music in this movie? It's like, the adventure rollicking music in the trailer would have been fine, but they would have these moments where it was like bloodletting, you know, rapid automatic gunfire. And then the, the theme from Remington steel would start. (laughs) It was, it was almost like they (laughs) they said, all right, we want you to write the score for this amazing adventure romance. It stars two huge Hollywood box office draws in Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. They run through the jungles of Columbia, escaping the forces of evil, trying to capture this treasure. All while falling in love. But you only have a saxophone and a synthesizer. Go! Go! <laughs> <laughs> exactly what it's like. Yeah, it, was dude, like the... <laughs> uh, it was like adult contemporary. Yeah, it was. It was smooth jazz. Smooth jazz after dark. <laughs> Circa 1984. There was way too much of like saxophone. Oh my god! Smooth hits of the 70s and 80s. It was type. like the final scene of every, like we talked about before, of every uh, one of those 19, those early, early mid 80s. Sure, they weren't. Heart, yeah, Heart to Heart, Simon uh, and Simon. Scarecrow Yes, yeah, Ruby did steal. It was like the last scene in those. You know, after yeah. after we've come back from the commercial break, the, <laughs> the, the, the actual resolution to the main storyline has been resolved. We come back to it for that last little moment where everyone can freeze frame and the final credits can roll. Freeze frame. <laughs> oh my. But that leads us, of course, to the point that there was actually a song that was meant to be in this movie. It's in it briefly, background music. Yeah, in um, uh, the what's what's the guy's name? Is Juan. It? Juan, that's right. Which of course was. Oh, he was El Juanpo in the Three Amigos. Yes, Alfonso Arau, <laughs> who was also a filmmaker in his own right, and he. Would you say I have a plethora of horses? Yes. See, si, see, si, El Juanpo, you have a plethora of horses. <laughs> Uh, yes, he is great. I love that movie. And I don't know what the hell happened to his face, but I'm pretty confident there's no plastic left for the Barbies. 
I don't know. Well, why. I think he looks cool with that beard and everything. Oh, but, yo, yeah, he does now. I'm talking about. I mean, I'm sorry, he did then. I'm talking about now. Like the picture uh, of him, he doesn't even look like him. Yeah. It just why you had such a cool face, dude. Why? Yeah. <sighs> anyway. I digress. Anyway, yes. So the only scene they play that music in is, is when a, they go yes. into this little scary drug town and they go up to the bell maker. Uh-huh. The I, bell maker, meaning he makes the stuff that rings your bell. Yeah. Um, and they knock and ask for a car and he, you know, he eventually invites them in. And when he opens up the outside doors of this disgusting little, you know, scum hole of a town, inside is like the most posh perfect 80s you know little which by the way never happens there's never i will make the point jason never happens where just a one or just a couple people take advantage of the poor in a community and live high on the hog while everybody around them suffers that never happens that was so So, outside of reality so hollywood it's sort of like next you're going to tell me that anyway that columbia wasn't stereotyped in this movie seriously like it's that dangerous you know what? I was a little offended by that. Kidnapping? Come on. In Colombia? Drugs? Really? Really? Kidnapping in Colombia. There's no drugs. Guns? I mean, God, come on. so ridiculous. <sighs> yes. So this music, the only time it plays in the entire movie, this song we're talking about. Oh, it's awesome. It is in the, it's playing on the stereo in the background in this, in this hacienda. Yes. So it's really, you could just miss it. In a second, it plays for maybe three seconds. You just kind of hear it because he's – it's just like, oh, I've got my stereo system going, yes. and it's meant for effect to point out I have a stereo, I have a workout system, I got a, a pool, I got all this. But this music was actually written yes. and performed by Eddie Grant. Wait, no, wait, no, wait, is, Jason. Jason, before you go too much deeper into the, the, the stats on this one, just hold on one second. Okay, okay. <laughs> I will also point out that when we got to this movie, I was very annoyed because I thought for sure when that boat – is in the middle of that New York street and they're getting ready to leave that I was going to hear. Okay. Enough of that. You're mixing up your movies there, man. Yeah, I know. I totally was annoyed. I kept saying to my wife, I was like, wait a minute. Isn't this the one with the Billy Ocean song? And she kind of looked at me. I was like, wait a minute. I can listen to this crappy ass saxophone music for another. And then it gets to the end credits and you see Romancing the Stone by Eddie Grant. I'm like, what the hell is that? And then Jason pointed yeah. out to me, you know, there was a song. I was like, what? No, huh? What? Yeah. Yeah. So Jason, yeah, continue. there's actually a song. There was actually a song written for this movie, a pop song that was going to be kind of the central music of it, and um, for it was written by Eddie Grant, who's most famous for his. He's, he's done a bunch of hits, but most famous for, from my youth, Electric Avenue. We're gonna rock down to Electric, electric Avenue, then, then we we'll take, take it higher. higher. Yeah, so he wrote this and down he in the this street. song. Yes, yes. So he's very famous. You look him up, you know, he's a lot of songs from the 70s and 80s. But he wrote this song for it. Well, for whatever reason. Let's <laughs> <laughs> start with the music reason, video. <laughs> they decided not to use it in the movie. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, they even pulled it from the soundtrack. Yeah. They, now, talk about talk <laughs> about an ego busting. Yeah. Pimp slap. I mean, that is an absolute. 
oh, by the way, we, the- we commissioned you to write this song, but we're just pretty much going to yeah, pull and pretend it didn't exist and just let you have the money. Thanks. You know what? We found other people better qualified to put songs on our album. Like but, with you know, saxophones and synthesizers. We'd prefer the Scarecrow <laughs> and Mrs. No, King soundtrack. Thank you. This is the this is the musical equivalent of a bitch slap. I mean, this is yeah, this is harsh. And um, the funny thing is, I remember watching the music video as a kid on MTV, and and you see all these. I mean, he basically the music video uses all these scenes from the movie, and they even do this kind of film cut where this, they film some scenes of Eddie Grant, and it looks like they've kind of cut him into the movie. You know, music videos used to do that sometimes, especially movie uh, movie music where they'd kind of put scenes from the movie and then they show someone kind of reacting. My favorite uh, of that, by the way, Short Circuit DeBarge, who's Johnny. Oh, yeah. Where they're like, oh, where, where, it doesn't even make sense because like, they've got Ali Sheedy on the stand. <laughs> who's Johnny, she says, and smiles. Yeah. And, that's, and, then, so- and they couldn't get Gutenberg with such, the Goot was such a big star. They couldn't even get his butt to be in the video. So they have like this cardboard cutout of him that they have kind of standing behind her and they kind of move it side to side. Yeah. Who's Johnny? She said, smile in a special way. Did you hear what you just said? Huh? Steve Gutenberg was such a big star. I know. I totally said that. <laughs> was. That sounds like it's past tense, my friend. The yeah, goot. The goot will live. The, the, myself, the so. goot will live forever. If he ain't Mahoney, he ain't nobody. (laughs) So it always was kind of confusing to me because I never remember. I'm like, where does this song come from? And uh, he has all the movie clips on his music video, but you don't ever hear the music and it's not on the soundtrack. So, yeah, they they ended up pulling it off. I'll do you one better, bud. Until you pointed this out to me, I never even heard this naked song, let alone seen the video. Like I had I didn't know prior to tonight. I didn't even know this thing existed. You you didn't see it on MTV? Never. Oh, yeah. Never. I don't remember this at all. But that being said, ladies and gentlemen, and we're not playing the whole thing, but I'm going to I'm going to play enough of it for and and we will. I will see if Jason could pick out the point where Robert Zemeckis and the filmmaker said, "Ooh, yeah, we're not using that song. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, there. Right there. <laughs> like, when the unicorns are the last ones at the water hole, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, he's got me there at the beginning. Like, the, the peaceful waterfall and the unicorns at the water. What? This isn't Legend with Tom Cruise. This is two years before that'll even come out. What is he talking about? Oh, whew. yeah, that's, um, that's a, 
but you know what? I pointed out I pointed out a better one um, because at the end. Yeah, we're not going that long. No, no, I won't make you listen to it. But at the end, it's uh, he says something like, "I'm going to climb up on my pulpit and preach to you." Yeah. Um, but hey, it's got a great beat. Uh, uh, I was totally doing the white the 1980s white boy dance. You know, when they're in like yeah. the, the junior high prom. And they're doing like the click, yeah, the snapping back and forth. Snap and point. Snap and point. That's right. Snap that's right. Yeah. Off, off, off rhythm. Off. Yeah, that's right. Dude, that is totally my next ringtone. I'm telling you. I, I, I'm not going to lie because it's the first time I've heard it. I listened to it now about six times. Dude, I like that song. I would much rather had that song play during every <laughs> yeah. fight sequence in this movie, every action sequence. <laughs> yes. Just, just had, even just, like, ready? Wait, hold on. Here it comes. Wait, wait. Solo just showed up with his gun. <laughs> oh wait, wait. Uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. I think Danny DeVito just grabbed Kathleen Turner. That would have been wait, better. Crocodiles, crocodiles. Oh, crocod- crocodiles, crocodiles. <laughs> Speaking of crocodiles, real quick, <laughs> massive spoiler alert, people. So at the very end of this movie. Solo is holding the stone above a crocodile pit after riling them all up with Kathleen Turner's blood. And he gets his hand like ripped the hell off. It's really it's graphic. It's like, su- it's like, again, this movie would have been BG 13 had it come out a year later. And then. The, oh yeah. So the crocodile has the, the stone in its belly. It takes off. Kathleen Turner and her sister are running away. Solo's, you know, one handed with his little, uh, small, blade exposed and he's going after them freaking michael douglas jack colton just says ah screw them goes after the crocodile now am i wrong did that crocodile crawl its butt to a higher point because he would have had to because ju- how far would that thing have had to jump down into the water like at least i i don't think crocodiles like doing that i don't i wouldn't have thought a crocodile would have wanted to jump off like a parapet wall it's like, on like the side of a castle the side of a fort and yeah Later, they show Jack Colton jumping off. Now that he's same up higher. Point. Well, he's up higher. He is up higher than the the, the crocodile was at that point when he jumps. It's still, it's still like two stories. I know the it is. Crocodile jumps off. So, and then do you want better? Would you really jump into a water you just saw this eight foot crocodile go into? Uh, dark water, middle of the night. Yeah, and he ain't the, the only ocean, one in there. Yeah, and he, he ain't the only one in there. No. I, I, and then now, like he grabs the crocodile by the tail. And the, to keep it from going off the side of the wall, and he's holding the tail, trying to get the gun. Save, I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> no. The, the other question I asked is: these crocodiles were in, you know, a holding pen of some sort in the middle of this yeah. fort that was owned by the bad guys, right? And uh, so that was kind of where Ralph kept them not ralph ira ira yes. kept them ira. and he always he always loved feeding him he's like look at those snappers look at those snappers <laughs> like playing with him and feeding him through this little grate um which apparently was made of crepe paper because when someone lays on it they just kind of falls through but <laughs> it was balsa um, wood <laughs> it was balsa wood but regardless so at one point the crocodile comes up grabs his hand yes. zola's hand eats it off and just decides it's going to get out of its pen and go walking around the fort and jumping off the side yeah not a very good uh, crocodile pen? pen yeah no well yeah, it was the size were made out of balsa wood yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um but you know what i probably would jump into the wa- dark water after a crocodile yeah especially with you know a couple million bucks in its belly oh yeah there. at least a couple million bucks well jason 
do you feel like we've uh, properly consummated our romancing the stone relationship? Oops, kick to the microphone stand. Kathleen Turner has really nice legs in this movie. Are you sure about that? I'm quite positive. (laughs) All right, if you say so. (laughs) On that note, Jason, you ready for some six picks action? Ah, what the hell? Who wants to be a millionaire? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think about that. That's awesome. Thank you again to Hammond. Jason Snark all aside. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, that is freaking awesome. I love our music better than whatever that, you know, house cinema office. No, that was actually really awesome. I just didn't want to eventually have someone sending me a letter. (laughs) Like I said, that home cinema, house cinema. Office. Yeah, is that channel around anymore? I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jason. Yes, that music was awesome. Thank you, Hammond. Y- yes, yes. And Jason, tonight, our six flicks picks are movies. <laughs> God, I can't even say it. <laughs> Spit it out. <laughs> movies that fall in the romantic adventure genre. And that's really all I got. <laughs> just basically romantic adventure movies that we thought you might want to check out. Yeah, which actually, surprisingly, is pretty broad. But uh, we've got some very f- pretty good you know, group, I think, of favorites. So yep. anyway. Yep. Yeah. What's your first pick, Jason? I, my first pick, I'm going to go a little old school on this. I know we don't do this often, and we generally you know, focus on the, uh, the 80s or 80s vicinity, but I am a huge Humphrey Bogart fan. Um, I have a collection of his movies, and I've always loved him ever since uh, my first film class in college. So I chose um, one of the earliest or earlier adventure romances, one of my favorites, which is The African Queen uh, from 1951, which is a classic starring uh, Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn, and it is um, absolutely fantastic movie. Basically, it takes place in deepest, darkest Africa. Um, Catherine Hepburn plays um, Rose, and she is with a missionary group that you know very bad things happen to. And Humphrey Bogart plays kind of this swarthy, stinky, dirty. Uh, riverboat captain named Mr. Allnuts that she keeps referring to him as Mr. Allnuts, um, Charlie. And he rescues her, and they try and get through uh, this dangerous part of the river. And um, it takes place during the, the um, kind of the World War II era because they also come in contact with you know, a Nazi boat that's out there. But it is, it is a fantastic little adventure flick. Um, I never was – I mean, you talk about chemistry. Yeah, I, I love Catherine Hepburn. It, I loved her more in some of her older movies, but in this, I know this is like sacrilege. I shouldn't say anything bad about this movie, and it pains me to do this, but I'll pinch myself later. Um, she just didn't come across as the kind of woman that would be like in a you know, romantic, but at the same time, <laughs> you know. I, but hey, he's in the jungle. He's in the middle of Africa. There's nobody else around. It's like, Eh, excuse, me. excuse me, excuse me, Derry. 
Yes, Mr. Arnott. Yes. Mr. Arnott. Yes. Did you... Uh, quick, you know? <laughs> quick, quick! We haven't had enough tangents in this episode. Did you ever see? The, I think I've asked you this before. Have you ever seen the Dana Carvey stand-up bit from like the mid '90s, like '94 or so? He did on HBO. He does no, this no. whole scene where it's Catherine Hepburn and Jimmy Stewart <laughs> in a car together, and the whole the whole setup is this stereotypical Irish cop is on his beat, and he's going from car to car, catching all these movie stars, and let's just say some. Uh, Hugh Grant compromising position compromising type of yes <laughs> and uh Catherine Hepburn and Jimmy Stewart uh, and uh <laughs> does just say she might be going to town and uh you know, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. yeah I'm gonna have to go back for that yeah it was uh, awesome yeah. it was hilarious <laughs> but the funny part about this is actually a fantastic movie Humphrey Bogart is a, an incredible actor one of the best I've ever ever seen but this one is interesting because you could tell they shot it on a Hollywood set and all the riverboat scenes with the two of them on this boat are in this perfectly calm, very narrow, dark water, kind of the stuff you see on Gilligan's Island, yes. you know? Yeah. Um, and then they go, Oh look, the hippos are over there. And then they show the scene that's like out of wild kingdom from the 1940s, you know, and it's just a, you know, f- uh, file footage of the hippos you know, splashing in the water. Then it goes back to them in this little, pool you know so, um but it's a really great movie Humphrey Bogart plays a great part there's some good drama there's a climactic ending I won't give away um that involves kind of the Nazis but um don't whatever you do please for the love of God don't watch this movie in color why would you watch it in color uh because that whole Ted Turner uh, era well that's like saying remember I remember Night of the Living Dead they colorized like what Ugh. Ridiculous. Yeah, watch the black and whites, and I mean, I, but actually, anyway. colorizing movies is almost as good an idea as retrofitting them with three D. Or, <laughs> or retrofitting three D. Or, or rewriting history with CGI, like making Sean Sean came and say it, making Han shoot Colonel sex, Solo. Colonel Solo, yes. No, he got he got promoted in the in the super duper version. He's actually a, a, a lieutenant, a general. A general yes, he's a one star general. He's a... <laughs> well, it was one a good star pick, Jay. because you know what? If he had just waited and shot second, then he'd be a two star general. But... Well, he did apparently, according to the new version. <laughs> yes, so that was a great pick. And keep, anyway, in, yes, in yeah. keeping uh, with your wow, that's an old movie theme. <laughs> I chose Father Goose from 1964, starring Cary Grant and Leslie Caron. She's French. (laughs) 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 And she's birdie, too. (laughs) Yes, this is a story. uh, It takes place during World War II. And Cary Grant basically is a boozing fisherman, a former history professor named Walter Eklund, and he is stationed off of an island, and his basic job is to spot uh, enemy aircraft, in this case would have been the Japanese, he's in the Pacific, and while there, he ends up uh, going to find the man who's supposed to uh, replace him, he has died, and what he finds in this man's place is a woman who is a teacher, school teacher, young 
beautiful school teacher, uh, along with seven very young schoolgirls. And let's just say that this is an atypical role for Grant. He is a kind of like a smarmy, you know, just unshaven, unkempt, just booze hound. This is not your typical Cary Grant, you know, classy Cary Grant. I mean, it's not that. So but that's one of the things I love about it. This is a movie that my mom loved when I was younger, and she would like put it on. And at the time, I remember rolling my eyes, be like, "This is old." <laughs> you know how like our kids are about movies that we like. <laughs> Night of the Comet. Yeah. Oh my god! god this this is, I don't want to see the Karate Kid that doesn't have Jaden Smith in it. He's the Karate uh, Kid. Oh God, shoot me. Yeah. So, but, but time heals all wounds, my friend, and. Seeing Father Goose some years later, I realized, no, this actually isn't a bad movie, and I really like it. It actually won an Academy Award for Best Screenplay, and uh, it is definitely worth checking out. And it's interesting because part of this was obviously shot in a uh, soundstage as well as as most movies back in the day were. um, Because it pretty much wasn't until the the independence and the the sort of the, the... generation that came from like 69 onward with easy rider and the whole you know sort of you know, the, the the film school group that came came up through the 70s they they really kind of broke the ground with going on location a lot obviously there were some movies shot on location but most were on sound stages this movie shot yeah. in jamaica for part of it and it's interesting because you can obviously see quite a bit of the uh, of, of the location as far as how it affects the feel of the movie and and it is it's pretty funny it's uh it's definitely not pc by any stretch of the imagination i mean there's one scene where she smacks him and he smacks her right back and it's like ooh, okay. <laughs> and this is this is a comedy so yeah father goose 1964 definitely recommend it's uh kind of neat it was one of grant's last films as well um so we're checking out jason all right, I have to retract a statement. Oh, generally, you shouldn't watch movies in color. But the African Queen actually was filmed in color. Mark this calendar. Mark this date on your calendar. I was wrong. Well, oh wait, I'm always wrong. You're the one that's never wrong. Wait okay, a minute. Never mind. Wait a minute. Was, <laughs> well, it was filmed in color, so that's okay. Right, that's okay. But I was wrong because I said you got to watch it in black and white. But I'm thinking most of the other carry or most of the other. Oh no no no! Okay, Brr, back up. You mean African yeah. Queen. You said Father African Goose. Queen. Yes. Yeah, I meant African Queen, not Father Goose. Okay. African Queen. I was wrong. Well, it's easy to think because honestly, I didn't correct you because I sort of have it in my head that every Humphrey Bogart movie is black and white, even though I know. Yeah, yeah. it's like Maltese Falcon and, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. The film are some. Anyway. So anyway, <clears throat> I'll go to the next one, which is in vivid color. Thank <laughs> God. Which is, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Return to Blue Lagoon. Now, kind of creeps me out that you said it that way. (laughs) (laughs) We've spoken in the past about one of my favorite actresses as a teenager was Mila Jovovich. And she was in one of the movies I talked about. Hey, Jason. Jason? Hey, Jason. Isn't it Jovovich? No, she's not Norwegian. (laughs) Isn't it Jovovich? No, she's not Swedish either. Oh, Oh, Peter, you heard that. Ooh, <laughs> You're the one that did it, did it like in the Woody Woodpecker's Swedish Walrus voice. I mean, <laughs> don't pin this one on me. <laughs> I'm not going taking. I'm not going down for you, man. I'm not taking a hit for you, brother. 
Uh, anyway, Mila Jovovich. Um, this is from 1991, and uh, it starred Mila and Brian Krause, who plays um, Richard. And so basically, this is the sequel to the original Blue Lagoon, which starred Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields, right? Yes, and um, uh, Christopher. I God, I can't remember his name. He looks like William Cat, but. Not, he's the kid you see as junk through most, most of the movie. <laughs> That's what you remember from the movie. <laughs> it's totally. I remember there's like this scene. Oh, I remember it was a big deal because there's like scenes where in the original they're they're swimming along and the camera's like underneath them and they don't even try to hide it. Like you see her full on, you see him full on. And I'm like, isn't she like 13? <laughs> no, I don't know how old she is in this movie. She's pretty but... young, dude. In, no. In, well, no, in Mia jo- Jovovich in the in the sequel, I don't know, but Brooke Shields, I I don't even oh, know. Oh, 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 you're t- yeah, you're talking about the original. Yeah, yeah, wasn't she like only like 16 or something? I think it was kind of a big deal that Christopher Atkins, that was the actor. There it is. I looked it yeah, up. Chris- I had to. I couldn't let that go. <laughs> Christopher, I showed my junk in the Blue Lagoon, Atkins. Yeah, so basically this original story was, you know, this – Everybody's lost on this island, right? But um, which I was never a big fan. I never watched. I think I've seen it once, maybe. But the the sequel is Return to Blue Lagoon picks up with um, the mom and dad with a baby, a brand new baby, are trying to escape this desert island. And the basically what happens is the ship finds the dad's dead, the mom's almost dead, and the baby Richard uh, is there. Um, and they pick him up to, to save him. Well, they're on the ship, and the sh- everybody on the ship gets sick and starts dying. So the captain, to save who's left, puts this uh, school teacher, her daughter, and Richard, who she is now kind of adopted as her uh, surrogate son at this point because he was you know um, lost at sea, puts them on a on a boat uh, with one of the crew members and kind of sets them off adrift so they don't catch the disease, whatever's catching. And they eventually, minus the crew member in a very unfortunate or accident, uh, they basically <laughs> float back to the same damn island. So <laughs> they're, they're right back there. Yeah, and uh, so she teaches them kind of to be self-sufficient. Um, she's trying to teach, you know, they, she raises them up to uh, just past puberty, and then she dies. So oh, then that's just, convenient. Yes, it's it's right around, you know. So uh, then... <laughs> Then the rest of the story is kind of their burgeoning love uh, for each other. They kind yeah, of screw that, dude. Let's just be, let's just break it down real style. You're a 15 or 16 year old boy. You're on an island where no one else is around with Mia Jovovich <laughs> and moms. Let's just say the parents go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Are mom you goes away. Hitting. Yeah. Me and Mia just decides, you know, I don't, I don't wear, wear a top anymore. I'm on a desert island. What? You don't wear a shirt, so why am I? And yeah. Well, she doesn't in uh, any of the movies she's in. So why this, should this be any different? Yeah, well, that would be my argument. To her. I'd be like, look, we're on a friggin' island. You don't wear it in any of your damn movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it it has a kind of a cool ending to it. I won't give that away, you know. And it is definitely a romance adventure, but um, she has nice legs too. Yep, and of course it has Brian Krause as he who does not show his junk, because this is only PG-13, <laughs> and Mr. Krause is in one of my favorites, I don't give a dang what you think, Sleepwalkers, the Stephen King 
uh, Mick Garris directed uh, Stephen King feature. He plays. Oh the yeah, he shape plays shifter. the, uh, the yes. kid in that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The face changing kid. The kid with the car that changes into yeah, a different car. Yeah, well, it was interesting because that movie came out right after T2 and implemented a lot of the the same morphing technology that they used in T2. So yep. it was it was pretty early. I remember it was kind of a big deal um, when, when that came out. So, yeah. Yes. Uh, so, yes. Return to the Blue Lagoon. Excellent choice, my friend. Excellent choice. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, now for my pick. Number four on our list. I have to say, I love... <laughs> I love IMDb because I'm pretty confident somebody just made up this tagline. My choice was Medicine Man from 1982 starring Sean Connery and Lorraine Bracco. And (laughs) this is, and I quote, on the trail of an amazing discovery, he finds an explosive adventure. (laughs) Explosive (laughs) adventure. Sounds like he had diarrhea. It says it in that voice? Wow. Yeah. You find an explosive adventure. (laughs) So, obviously, this is a movie dealing with explosive diarrhea. Chimichangas. Yes. Chimichangas. Yes, Medicine Man, in all seriousness, (laughs) Jason, grow up, tells the story of Dr. Robert Campbell, played by, in case I didn't mention it, Sean Connery. And he is the Medicine Man of the title. He is actually an eccentric scientist. Uh, He's working for a drug company, and he's in the Amazonian jungle, and he has found the cure for cancer. Well, as he puts it, much like some people lose their car keys, (laughs) (laughs) the cure for cancer gets lost. Yeah, it's the exact same thing. It's exactly the same thing thing so uh lorraine brocco is an assistant who is supposed to help him and of course you know she's she's just a woman (laughs) and and we know what they're good for i don't even know what that meant and (laughs) so he he ends up uh you know trying to find the cure it's a race for the cure and uh, and meanwhile, there's some evil developers who are trying to rip down the jungle to build some high rises or something. And the, it gets into the whole like indigenous people, you know, and and, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, Connery has his character has all this respect for them. But more to the point, if they tear down the jungle, he's going to lose his cure. So it's an action adventure sort of movie. It's got a bit of a love angle to it with the Lorraine Bronco character. Most importantly, yeah. and the main reason I picked it is it was directed by John McTiernan. Who, Jason, ah. directed uh, some pretty decent pictures like Predator and oh. Hunt for Red October and one of your favorite movies of all time, Die Hard. Oh, wait. Oh, wait, Jason. <laughs> for it to be Brother. one of your favorite movies of all time, you would have had I'm to in. have seen it. Mm. Yes, people. Yes. Jason, co-host of the Forgotten Flicks podcast. of what makes me awesome. (laughs) I didn't even know what that meant. (laughs) Excuse me. Back that up. I am 100% of what makes you awesome. Yeah, that's Okay, yeah. Good point. Let's just get that clear. 112% (laughs) of what makes my balls itch. (laughs) And Jason has never seen Die Hard. Ah, yeah. That gives us good topics. Yeah, but you've you've seen Die Hard too. I haven't seen any of them. You've so. seen Die Hard with a Vengeance. 
I haven't Flip seen it. Flip Die Hard. Is that a Die Hard in your car? Are you just happy to see me? You've seen nothing? I haven't seen any of them. I've seen clips and bits and parts. Oh, but... my God. Yippee Kaye, indeed. I have seen Die Hard literally without exaggeration. I've at least seen it 58 times. At least. Wow. If I've seen it once. Maybe well, more. Well, then you can't be objective anymore. So that's oh, no, I totally can't. To I really can't. I can't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yes. Medicine Man. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Die Hard. So, <laughs> Where yes. the hell that come from? <laughs> Mainly because I just wanted an excuse to rag you about Die Hard. That's all right. Yeah, that's good. So Medicine Man, 1992, starring Sean Connery. <laughs> like Lucy, <laughs> with his explosive diarrhea and Lorraine Bracco. <laughs> Check it out it's one actually, time, like won't you? Yeah, I like that movie. It's actually really good. It's got a kind of a cool twist at the end in his interaction. Don't ruin it. it. I'm just saying, it's got cool twists and, you know, resolutions and everything. Plus, the little native guys are cool. Oh, of course. Wow. Wow. Really, Jason? Really? And by twist, does that involve nipples? Only in the movies you watch. So, yeah, that was more like make. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What's your number two pick, Jason? Number two as it were. Number two, and probably one of the greatest adventure romances of all time, or at least the mid-80s, Crocodile Dundee. Yes, Good mate. That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. The movie that started some of the most memorable lines and uh, euphemisms of the 1980s, um, Crocodile Dundee, starring Paul Hogan, who basically plays Mick, Mick J. Crocodile Dundee and uh, um, Linda Kozlowski, who plays Sue. And basically, she's this reporter who goes down under to find this famous crocodile hunter. She kind of falls for him. He turns out to be this really kind of amazing guy, can do everything um, in, the, in the wild. And she decides she's got to get him back to New York City. So it's, it's all of the quirks of what happens when you bring kind of fish out of water story yeah it's not cliche at all um (laughs) nope (laughs) you can't pass up a movie when a guy leans out and says hi i figured out what it's for it's for washing your backside yep speaking of the bidet isn't it is it me don't me wrong not hating because i love crocodile dundee love Uh paul hogan love linda because yeah. yeah, that's it. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Much like Solo or Zolo in Romancing the Stone, doesn't Paul Hogan seem like a guy who is just like, you know, raking his, you know, dirt farm or something and like somebody drove by and said, hey, <laughs> we're, we, 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 we had this whole movie ready to go and we realized we didn't cast our lead. <laughs> you look manly and leathery. <laughs> Wanna be in a movie? Oh. Oh, rightly think so. And then he, you know, threw a shrimp on the Barbie. I'm just kidding. And went and did it. Seriously? Yeah. Like doesn't he um, just or something? He just seems uh, literally like he just seems like he's being himself. Like I don't feel like he's acting. Now in Crocodile no, Dundee two in Crocodile Dundee two, yeah. that's really where you see the range. <laughs> I love Crocodile and uh, Cactus Jack. <laughs> but Crocodile Dundee is too is great because that's kind of where they go back to the outback. I actually kind of liked Crocodile Dundee too. I loved it. I, I mean, never saw the know, third obviously... one. Never saw the third one. 
No, I didn't see that. And I never saw which was the third one? Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles was that what that one was? Was it? I think that was it. Crocodile Dundee in L.A., but I never saw that. But anyway, yeah, he definitely seems like this is just who he is for you know Paul Hogan, and this really kind of launched the love affair with Australian stuff for I don't know what the next five years or so. I know I wanted to go to Australia after this, but uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it was a fun movie. I just ate it an outback. It, Does that count? What's that? I just ate it in Outback. Does that count? Only if you ate Vegemite on toast. Oh. So anyway, yes, this is uh, uh, Crocodile Dundee, 1986, my number two. And what is the number one pick? Oh, well, Jason. All romantic I saved the low-hanging fruit for the last. (laughs) (laughs) 1985's Jewel of the Nile. Or (gasps) the Jewel of the Nile, if you're particular. (laughs) <laughs> you, you, you'll be shocked to learn this is actually the sequel to Romancing the Stone. I know. Does it have a Billy Ocean song in it? Um, Jason, as a matter of fact, <laughs> it does this one. Yeah, so that's my pick. <laughs> <laughs> no, this one takes place in the Middle East. Um, as I said before, it has the most contrived, awkward, and potentially offensive uh, trailer I've seen in a long, long time. Danny DeVito, same scenario. Said this time yeah. he's running up to a ringing payphone in the middle of the desert, and he's talking to Ira, again, wanting to know how he got that number, and uh, proceeds to talk about the sheik and the crazy Arab. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's people running at him going, yeah! And uh, it's something. It's something. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, it, it it really pretty much is the exact same movie in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> it really, there's nothing else to say. It's pretty much. But was it, was it this one directed by Louis Teague, though? This one, yes, was Louis Teague, which he also. Which is Cujo. Yep. Cat's, Cat's Eye. Yep, yep. Stephen King. Yeah. Yep. 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 So, yeah, it, it actually it's it's funny. It's the one I probably have the fondest memory of uh, seeing it at the theater with my with my old man. And it uh, I I have a feeling, though, it probably doesn't hold up. I'm just going to guess. <sighs> I haven't seen it in a long time. I haven't seen it as many times as uh, Romancing the Stone, obviously. But I'm willing to bet. Yeah, it doesn't quite uh, hold up like. Like uh, the others do. Yeah, so. and of course in this one, Ralph, the Danny DeVito character, kind of like joins forces with uh, with Jack and Joan. So yeah, uh, they got that going for him, which is pretty mm. pretty great. Pretty great. Yeah, Danny DeVito is funny. Yeah, he is. He is. <laughs> so yes, number one pick, Jewel of the Nile. Jason, would you like to commence with giving our lovely listeners the voicemail number so they can call and grace us with their voicemail feedback and yeah yo what's up with that jffl come on you're not calling in no 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 (laughs) you said oh god you said god help us all yes give us a call anytime anywhere we will put you on the air even if you're a crazy follower you know me or as if there is something that wouldn't be crazy for following you yes yeah, exactly. Either one of us. Give us a call anytime. 206-203-0491. All long distance rates apply. You know, if you still pay long distance, because you know, whatever. Who has a, who doesn't have a cell phone? Seriously. <laughs> yes. And 
check us out at ForgottenFlicks.com. Every Wednesday we post a new episode, and uh, we're scaling it back a little bit, trying to post just on Mondays and Fridays now. So just check it out. We've got the summer tournament, Six Degrees tournament that's been going on. Actually, probably by the time you're hearing this, it's over. (laughs) I just realized that as it was coming out of my mouth. But that's fine. It was fun while it lasted. Wasn't that wonderful? Oh, and the winner. Yes, the winner. Gosh, that winner so deserved it. Yeah, that winner was, oh, they're so happy. (laughs) Hey, don't forget to vote for the spooky flicks for... Actually, oh my God, what are they doing in October? Yeah, and actually, more to the point, this episode <laughs> that we are currently doing will be airy. Yeah, it, we'll still have it up. I just wanted to make sure. It's like, wow, <laughs> that would be awkward. In fact, it actually will be up all the way through our uh, episode after this, which will be <gasps> Young Guns. Oh, yes. We're yes. going Western now. Oh, yeah. Kicking it with Emilio and the gang. And so, yes, ForgottenFlix.com. Check us out on Twitter. I am ForgottenFlix. Jason is Flix Sidekick iTunes, of course, we have our uh, page there. You can download the old the old podcast to your uh, fancy Walkman, and you can leave us a review. We're always appreciative of that. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook as well. Oh, yay! You remember I know, pr- it this time. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> uh, you, you can like it, like it, like it, like it on Facebook. Jason, uh, I believe that's everything. Any final words, salutations, or... Anything you'd like to say? Mm, mm, look at those snappers. Mm. Oops, the closing music didn't play. <laughs> okay, I'll have to add that in. Damn it. Why didn't it play? What the hell is that? What's our closing music? Jason, 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 the the show is over. Oh, crap. We'll have to wait till next week.